You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We turn to the Word of God this morning. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 31. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 41 as we read together and consider this morning the first 16 verses. And as you look at that, that may seem like a bit of a strange portion. It is the portion of of God's Word when Pharaoh has his dreams and Joseph is called out of the prison, but we're, we, we stop before Joseph interprets the dream. Sometimes it's, it's difficult on a, on a, a pulpit exchange such as this to know exactly what to preach. And, and I kind of figure, well, I've been working on Joseph down in Escondido. That's what I'm going to do here. And I think Joseph uh, is familiar to most of us that we understand the story quite well. By this time in the history of Joseph, he's been in, oh, he's been sold. He, he was, he left his father, uh, for 13 years ago already. So 13 years he's been in Egypt by this time. And one of the themes that we can't miss, especially in verse 39, chapter 39 of Genesis, is the theme that God is with Joseph. We read that when he is brought to Pharaoh's, uh, to Potiphar's house that God is with Joseph and he prospers there. And later on when he finds himself in prison, God is with Joseph, Scripture says, and he prospered there as well. It seems awkward to us because these terrible things really are happening to him, yet we always read those comforting words, God is with Joseph. And even in this portion of Scripture, we will consider that this morning. God is with Joseph as he is remembered before Pharaoh. Chapter 41 marks the turning point for Joseph as it tells now how he came 
to power. It begins to lead toward the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams that he had, that he had relayed to his brothers. So beginning at verse 1 of chapter 41 through verse 16, as we once again turn our attention to the Word of God. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream, and things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, I enjoy roller coasters. Even at my age, I still enjoy them. Maybe some of you do. Boys and girls, if you like to ride roller coasters, maybe it's because you find them thrilling. They're fun. They're fast. But also they're filled with ups and downs. Literally ups and downs. And sharp turns and changes in direction. Sometimes life is described as a roller coaster. Most often with the ups and downs, the good times, the bad times, the easy times, and the hard times. And I believe it's safe to say that when we think about Joseph, the son of Jacob, his life was like a roller coaster. Maybe, maybe not so much because of the ups and downs. He had those too, of course. There were good times, there were bad times. We know that full well. But maybe more so because of the, the sharp turns his life took. If you think about it, his life had radical changes, radical reversals, changes in direction. Think about that for a moment. He was the favored son of Jacob. Jacob, no doubt, was a prominent man, a wealthy man, a prominent man in, in, in whatever part of the land he lived in. Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob. And all of a sudden, quickly, really, he is stripped of his special jacket, thrown into a pit, sold by his brothers. 
And then he is Potiphar's number one servant. And again, the snap of the fingers it seems. He finds himself unjustly incarcerated in prison. But then also at one moment he has the hope that just maybe the cupbearer will remember him before Pharaoh. But it didn't take long to realize he had been forgotten, kind of like yesterday's news. But here again in this episode, another change. An unexpected summons leading to an up, a good part of life. You see, in God's providence, the time had come for Joseph to be delivered from prison. To be delivered from all of the trouble that he had been enduring for 13 years already. We know, of course, that that God uses unlikely circumstances, sometimes to us the most unlikely of circumstances, to carry out His plan. He's done so in my life. Maybe He's done so in your life. You look back and say, wow, I would have never anticipated that. But God used that unlikely circumstance in my life. Again, with Joseph, He used Joseph's own dreams for the beginning of his troubles. Joseph told his brothers his dreams. They figured out that those dreams must have meant that Joseph thought that he was going to rule over them one day. And after they throw him into the pit, they talk about putting him to death. Or even before they throw him, they see him coming. They talk about putting him to death. Then they say, now let's see what will become of his dreams. And then there's Mrs. Potiphar. God used Mrs. Potiphar, we might say, to put Joseph in prison for a time. And then He used the cupbearer if you think about it, to keep Joseph in prison because he forgot about him. Yet the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker and now Pharaoh's dreams would now be the occasion for the fulfillment of Joseph's dreams 13 years before. They would be part of that magnificent chain of events that would eventually lead to Jacob's family coming to Egypt. And through all of this, as I mentioned a moment ago, God was with Joseph. And now he is with him now too as he is remembered before Pharaoh. Two years had passed. Boys and girls, think about that. Sometimes we can't wait five minutes. We want a snack. I want it now. We can't wait five minutes. Joseph waited two more years. He says two full years. 730 days had passed since since the cupbearer and the baker had been released from prison. The cupbearer restored to his office the baker put to death. And no doubt Joseph's sentence was a life sentence. What what other explanation could there be? And then all of a sudden, one day, the prison door opens without notice, without expecting it, and it's for him. The cupbearer did remember Joseph. And he remembered him due to a similar circumstance. Now, we can't miss the dream theme in these early chapters of the Joseph story. Joseph has two dreams. He then interprets two dreams. And now Pharaoh's two dreams, which would serve as the circumstance by which Joseph would be remembered. But notice, Pharaoh doesn't simply laugh off his dreams. We we do that. We tend to do that in the morning. If we remember our dreams, which are often ridiculous, we might tell our spouse or our children, or we might tell our moms and dads, or a friend, we laugh about them a little bit. We forget about them. Pharaoh did not forget about his dreams. He didn't just laugh them off. He didn't realize that he was dreaming until he woke up. Yet the impression of, the impression of the reality of his dreams haunted him. 
You see, in the Egyptian culture, there was a strong belief and superstition in the importance of dreams. The cupbearer and the baker also uh, show that when, when they are troubled by their dreams and they, they can't get outside of prison to the interpreters. You know, we need to get to these guys. We need to know what these dreams meant. But they, wouldn't, they weren't able to do that. But this superstition and the strong belief was even more so with Pharaoh. In the ancient Near East, it was believed that the kings were the chosen representatives of the gods and their dreams were particularly significant. And Pharaoh himself, we know, was considered to be a god. For the people, he was a god among men. He was incarnated, it was thought. But at the same time, he was a man among gods. He was a go-between between the people of Egypt and the gods of the universe. And his dreams were very vivid. The facts were clear. And those facts, beloved, were, were dear to Egypt. They were important for Egypt. They were very Egyptian, if you will. The Nile River was the source of Egypt's fertility. And the cows and the grain pointed to agriculture and productivity. And of course, there were different gods that were in charge of all these things. There was the god of fertility. There was the god of agriculture. There was the god of nature. There was the god of this and the god of that. And life in Egypt was grand really because of the Nile. Egypt, because of the Nile, weathered famines quite well. They withstood famines quite well. Abraham brought his family from Canaan to Egypt because of a famine. Usually there was grain in Egypt. And if there was grain, then there was livestock. Everything would flourish. Life was well. But with these dreams, there was no change in the appearance of the ugly and gaunt cows after they devoured the, the, the fat and the sleek cows. And there was no change in the thin and scorched heads of grain after they devoured the good and the healthy heads of grain. And because of that, Pharaoh knew. He knew that it meant something unfavorable. As we know from Scripture, when Joseph interprets the, the dreams, the same message is repeated with these two dreams. Poverty will destroy plenty. These dreams pointed to an attack against the source of Egypt's economy. These dreams also were a symbolic revelation of God's control over the life and death cycle of Egypt. And we know too that these dreams also point to what is true of the world of wickedness. This life of plenty will come to an end. And apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, there will only be the poverty of eternal destruction. But Pharaoh didn't understand all of that. But he knew that something wasn't right. And therefore, his reaction is understandable. He was troubled. He was restless. He knew that, that there, was, there was an important meaning to the dreams, but he did not know what because there was no one to interpret the dreams. Now, he called upon his magicians. He called upon the wise men. These men were, they were a special, they had a special priestly position in Egypt. They were entrusted with not only the religious duties of the land, but also the, the science of the country. As well, they were in control of the books of magic. The same class of men was called upon by another Pharaoh many years later to duplicate the wonders that Moses performed. You see, these men were, were the most learned in the world. 
They were the most experienced in magic. They were highly respected and highly honored. Yet, here, they were powerless. Even in the midst of these Egyptian details, they were powerless. They were not even able to give a credible guess. They didn't give Pharaoh any answer whatsoever. And then the cupbearer remembers. You can almost see him slap his head as he remembers. He says, I'm reminded today of my shortcomings against Pharaoh. He says, you were angry with me once. He doesn't go on to remind Pharaoh why he was angry. But you were angry with me once. But he's also reminded of his shortcomings against Joseph. His ingratitude against Joseph. He doesn't tell Pharaoh that this man Joseph asked me to remember him before you and I forgot. Actually, in chapter 40, beloved, the the Hebrew, the the idea behind the Hebrew there is not only that did was it an innocent forgetting, but Joseph ignored. I mean, uh, um, the cupbearer ignored Joseph's plea to be remembered. But see, none of that is the point. The point is that every last detail came true. Everything, things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. The cupbearer says. And then Joseph is brought, we know, for his first encounter with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, you see, wasn't concerned at this point. He wasn't concerned that this young Hebrew was a foreigner, that he was a prisoner. It didn't matter to him that this young man wasn't a magician or a wise man of Egypt. He was in desperate need. And Joseph, out of respect for the culture of of Egypt and for Pharaoh, he, he cleans up, he shaves... And he's brought before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh literally says, I hear that you only need to hear a dream. You just have to hear it. And you can interpret it. Now if you think about it, Joseph's initial response might have been somewhat disappointing to Pharaoh. I cannot do it. It's one word in the Hebrew. Not I. Or it is not in me. The interpretation is not in me. Yet he quickly adds, but God. You see, beloved, without a second thought, Joseph, as was true to his nature, it was the habit of his heart, he points immediately to the sovereignty of God. With Mrs. Potiphar, what did he do? He pointed to God. With the cupbearer and the baker, he pointed to God. With Pharaoh, he points to God, to the sovereignty of God. Joseph knew full well he had been remembered only because of God's sovereignty. You see, as we consider the entire Joseph story, we know that every detail in the episodes of the Joseph story bears the stamp of God's providence, and that's because he is a sovereign God. All power, all authority belongs to him to carry out his sovereign will as he desires, as he determines. And we can clearly see His sovereign power and control also in the details of this episode. We see it with the dreams. It's God who gave Pharaoh the dreams at this particular point in time. And not just not just any old unmeaningful forget as soon as you wake up in the morning dreams, but dreams with details that meant something. Details that hit close to home. Details that pointed to the future of Egypt. 
And God also gave Pharaoh the troubled spirit that would not let Pharaoh ignore these dreams, dreams which really challenged the gods of Egypt and challenged Pharaoh's trust in those gods. The sovereignty of God is seen with regard to the interpretation of these dreams. God rendered helpless the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. He would not even allow them to guess. A guess would only darken the truth. Beloved, sometimes God does reveal His will to unbelieving and wicked men, but they can only understand it by His power, by His illumination. Apart from His power and illumination, it's only confusing to the unbeliever. But here, in this episode, God would protect His revelation. He would see to it that the truth would come undistorted by keeping any false interpretation from even being spoken. The sovereignty of God also challenges the wisdom of man. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read together verses 27 through 29 especially, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. You see, Joseph here is the foolishness He's the nothing that the world sees. He's just a Hebrew foreigner. He's a slave. He's a prisoner. He's the lowest of the low. He is a thing that is not, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But the magicians, the wise men of Egypt, well, boys and girls, these, these were the most wise in the world. Yet we know they were the most foolish. Because as the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. These guys were the most learned. Yet they were the most ignorant. Because they did not know true wisdom. They did not know the true God. These guys were those described by Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? But Joseph, this prisoner, this slave, he was truly wise. He was truly learned even without the education of the world. Why? Because God was with him. He, not the magicians, not the wise men, he could truly boast as the Lord says in Jeremiah 9, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Brothers and sisters, Egypt, the land of Pharaoh was considered to be the center of learning. It was the center of culture. It was the proud leader of civilization, but the people were idolaters. They had no light of truth because they did not know God. And only in His light, as the Bible says, do we see light. And in His sovereignty, God rendered the magicians and the wise men of Egypt blind and, and powerless. They displayed their ignorance. And Pharaoh was made to feel the powerlessness of all human resources and he was made to feel the worth, the worthlessness of all human wisdom. 
And that's a blow to mankind, especially in our age of, of intellectualism. That apart from God, all human resources are powerless. And all human wisdom is worthless. Yet here with Pharaoh, God will bring the light of His, of His will through one who already possesses the light of God and His truth. And one of the lessons for us people of God is that in our, in our quest for education and knowledge, and that's not wrong in and of itself, but in our quest for education and knowledge, we must never forget that apart from the knowledge, from, from true knowledge, the true knowledge of God, our education, our knowledge is nothing but foolishness and it will go to the grave with us. Pharaoh would learn on this particular day that God alone is the giver of every good and perfect gift, not the gods of Egypt. The wicked men of the world don't see this. To the unbeliever, he is the captain of his own ship. He's the, he's the master of his own fate. But apart from Jesus Christ, each one will learn the hard way one day that no matter how successful one is in this life, his ship, apart from Jesus Christ, his ship will sink. And his fate will be eternal hell. Behind Joseph's rise to power was God's sovereignty. And that sovereignty was displayed in the loss of power and initiative by Pharaoh. He lost power. He had to turn to a Hebrew slave. And behind it was, behind God's sovereignty was also the helplessness of the magicians and the wise men. And this wasn't the only time in history that this happened. If you think about it, years later, another Pharaoh was rendered powerless. His magicians were rendered helpless the time of the Exodus. Later on after that, Herod at the time of Christ, the birth of Christ, was not able to stop the birth of one baby. He was rendered powerless. And ultimately, we look to the cross of Jesus. Satan was rendered powerless to stop the work of Jesus Christ. And even today, he's rendered helpless. He cannot stop the spread of the Gospel. He cannot stop the hearts of God's elect from hearing and understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit the truth of salvation. Beloved, no matter how powerful and prosperous nations and people are, they are still subject to God's sovereign control. That is to be a comfort to you and me. As we live in a day of war, as we live in a day of leaders who do not know the Lord, who may be oppressive, maybe even with employers who, who are oppressive, that must be comforting to us that, that all power, no matter how powerful and how prosperous one is in this life, that one is still subject to God's sovereign control. And that is to make Romans 8.28 all that much more comforting to you and me, for in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. You see, Joseph understood that better than you and I ever will. And that's why as he is remembered before Pharaoh, by the work of God's grace in his life, Joseph, in the third place, displays fearless humility. Notice the humility of Joseph. Think about this again. Thirteen years he's been gone from his father. These last two years, especially, he had to wait again since he interpreted the cupbearer and the baker's dreams. And now his chance had finally come. 
What an opportunity to shine. This was his big break. He could have taken advantage of the situation to get free. He could have bargained with Pharaoh. Pharaoh needed him, you see. Pharaoh needed his services. But no, Joseph points away from himself. He points to God. Again, the idea being that Joseph, in essence, says, even without me, God will give. We are reminded of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. You see, boys and girls, Joseph would not get free by some grand prison break. He would not get free by some let's make a deal scheme with Pharaoh. He would get free only by God's design. He was humble. He understood who God is. He understood who he is in relation to God. But at the same time, he was fearless. By this time, Joseph understood Egyptian culture. He understood the superstitions of Egypt. He understood the gods of Egypt. He understood Pharaoh's position, that Pharaoh was considered to be a god. But at the very same time, he knew that Pharaoh and that the gods of Egypt and that the magicians and the wise men were no match for the king of heaven. And therefore, fearlessly, he points Pharaoh, who claimed to be a god who could put Joseph to death at the snap of his fingers... He points Pharaoh to the one and only true God who would, who could and would reveal to Pharaoh the interpretation of his dreams. And Joseph trusted that in this godless land with this godless king, the God of his fathers would continue to be with him in good times or in bad times. And through Joseph, God would teach Pharaoh that only the servant of the Lord could reveal the Lord's ways to Pharaoh because only the man of God has true wisdom and light. And that's because, as Psalm 25, verse 14 says, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him. Nebuchadnezzar found that out also when Daniel not only interpreted his dreams but also told Nebuchadnezzar what his dreams were. Beloved, this afternoon we hope to consider that God calls us the salt of the earth and the light of the world that we are called to represent Him as those who have been given the true light of God. Pharaoh lacked true wisdom and knowledge and therefore that made him unsure and insecure. But Joseph owned true wisdom and knowledge and therefore he enjoyed peace. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts you. Joseph's life was indeed a series of unexpected turns of event. And even here. But this man, this man of God, goes from prison to the throne of the king. And his first word is God will give. A powerful lesson for you and me. That he who is aware of God and His presence of grace through Jesus Christ is humble and fearless at the same time. And that in all of our life, beloved, every single moment of our life, we need not be afraid to claim and to promote the name of God, the name of Jesus. 
Joseph, we know, points to the one who secured that confidence for us. We know that God prepared Joseph and now delivered him as a part of keeping His covenant promises of grace, preserving the line leading to the Messiah. The Messiah who would Himself forever preserve God's elect people. And Jesus Christ demonstrated God's sovereign power and will by His cross, taking upon Himself the punishment of God for our sins. Conquering sin death, hell, and Satan Himself. And securing for those who trust in Him alone the confidence that if God is for us, who can be against us? Now that's a verse I want you to think about for a moment. We hear that verse often. We claim to believe that verse, if God is for us, who can be against us? When Paul wrote that verse, he had the answer in his mind, firm in his heart, no one. No one can be against us. Nothing can be against us. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we feel like the whole world is against us. But the truth is, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can harm us? No one. Joseph had that confidence that Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt were not stronger, not more powerful than the true God. And therefore, we do not need to fear the power and the knowledge of this world because even the great of this earth are not too great for God. God controls them to accomplish His purpose. Beloved, God uses the details of life, including the troubles that you and I face, whether it be in the church, whether it be in our personal lives. He uses the actions of wicked men, whether those actions are restrained by God or whether they are full-blown sinful actions. He uses all of it to bring about His purpose for you and me as a church. And even, even when the world acts deceitfully and wickedly, even when we face trouble in this life, we are to praise God that He is at work, even in that, to prepare you and me for glory. One of the stanzas of a hymn that we sing says this, His purposes may ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be its flower. Beloved, we have no need to compromise with the world for our protection, for our well-being. We don't need to seek our comfort and promotion with the world. That's nothing less than to violate the first commandment. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't put your trust in anything above me. Instead, we are called to stand firm on the rock of our salvation who knows the end from the beginning and who has promised us in Christ Jesus that the, that the end and the beginning and everything in between is for our good. We have no need to fear the leaders and the powers of this earth who are nothing more than dust on the scales as to God, as Isaiah 40 says. They are under His thumb. And most important, God is for us. And whatever roller coaster effects our lives have, we are safely fastened under the shadow of the wings of our sovereign God. Joseph was remembered before Pharaoh. We are remembered before God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ will not be remembered, but they will enter the eternal pit. But those who look to the only Savior and confess and repent of their sins, not only will they not be forgotten, 
but they will be raised to eternal glory to serve in the presence of God forever and ever. Beloved, there's no greater comfort than to be remembered by God for eternity. For Jesus' sake. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.